Test Zest. Sibilance. New. New. It, new. it is new. It is new. Are we doing new? Yes, we're doing new. Oh. It is the day after Thanksgiving. Good morning. Okay. You got to give the people what they want. Yes. Yes. Which well, is less of us. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, who who really wanted any? Yeah, who who said they wanted? Um, but yes. Um, oh, I had a point to make on this. And we're just getting started. I already can't remember what I wanted to say. Oh, no. So I have been. How are you today, by the way? I am. I am well. You're well. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm still on coffee number one. I know you're on number two. So that's pretty yes. exciting. Yes. Yep. But we are going to do a real one today. Not a not a real one. I shouldn't say a real one. We, a real one. <laughs> a non-classic. Soon to be classic. Soon to be classic. Yes, a classic in the making. I think we. This is starting to sound like something we've said before. New content. Yes, and I have in front of me the latest new brewer because. You know we like to read it, so you don't have to. And this one actually has a whole bunch. We're going we're gonna to buzz through a whole bunch of things they talked about in here. Uh, and the last one we'll spend most of our time on because I think it's the most interesting. They've been doing some good stuff lately in this magazine. And, you know, very often they're, they're skimming over the top of some of these topics. And then we get to jump in and tear them apart. And in order to have fun, I have not told James what any of the topics are. Nor have I looked. Mm-hmm. Nor have you looked. Nor have I looked. I, I am going in blind. I will say I flipped it open this morning just to, to reset my bearings because I had already made my notes prior. And I opened to a page and it's, oh, you know, pelletizers for sale because that's what I expect to see in here. But it was not pelletizers. It was actually palletizers. Palletizers, Palletizers. Yes. I'm going, wait a minute. I have to learn another word? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I had a double take moment there. It's like, wait, a pelletizers, palletizers, too many things, too much equipment, too much fun, to- too many fun toys you can have in this industry. Oh yes. All right, so we're going to go through this magazine from from beginning to end here because again, the last one's the most interesting. the fir- The first article and the and the cover page, the cover says "Adventure on Tap," and it's got two women, a young woman and a um, a senior woman. <laughs> um, Toasting with very, very, very large German beer steins. Mm-hmm. And the the sub-caption is, Breweries are for craft beer curiosities. Breweries are for craft beer curiosities? Breweries offer. Craft oh, beer. offer. Okay. So this article is about... I'm not sure how I feel about them using the word curiosities because they use it a couple times in here. It is a, it is a profile of a bunch of breweries around um, North America that... Will not serve an IPA. Yay. Exactly. Where are they? Can I have a list of these places? Yes, exactly. Exactly. None of them are near you or me. Believe me, I would have made note of that. Yeah, of course not. But, you know, and and the, the quote in here from one in particular, everyone and their sister brews IPAs. We want to spend our time on other things that are delicious and easy to drink. Mm-hmm. So this is an article about breweries that, as you can imagine, for the most part, are trying to stick to historical brewing. And make things that are just different. And I'm seeing things about smoked Hellas, uh, Grzeskis, a uh, a sticky alt, which I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place called Off Color Beer. I love the name. Uh, they're they're <laughs> in Chicago. They're not too far from you. 
So they've got a Gradeski. They do a Chica, uh, a historical brown porter made with quassia bark. Ooh, nice. Yeah, and an Australian gruet built with whorehound and black pepper. Ooh. So they've got some, some really interesting stuff. I'm seeing juniper berries and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, Wari Chica de Mala is a recreation of the ancient Peruvian style of beer. Oof. That they learned about from the historians at the Chicago Field Museum. Like, they just have all this cool stuff. So, the, so this is a fun article about weird beer types that you're not going to find anywhere in the sea of unicorn-themed IPAs. And I, I, just, I want to spend a few minutes talking about that because I think, yes, please, more. Right. Uh, there's a place near me, and I've mentioned them once or twice, called OEC. It's, um, what the heck does OEC even stand for? I don't know. Um, but they historically, oh, eccentric concoctions. They historically have been sours only, which is a little rough. Yeah. That's, that's a little too much. And so I, br- I had a beer crawl with a few friends uh, just prior to COVID, and it was too much. It was just simply too much sour. That said, I just went to their website, and they have expanded. They have – what did they call it? I just lost sight of the, um, of the page. They had a fun name for this. Um, they have a clean offerings and sour offerings. <laughs> they call it clean <laughs> beers. But a, but a Hellas, a Marzen, a Dark Lager, a Dunkel, um, a Farmhouse, you know. There's two India Pale Lagers, so they've got something there for the, the mainstream people. Mm-hmm. A double, and then they've got a gazillion sours, including a sour porter, which I would try a little sip of that. <laughs> they have a, 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 a sizer mead. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, that's a location for you and I the next time you're here. <laughs> no kidding. Should be fun. Uh, oh, 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 do you know of places near you, I mean, uh, that are that are completely anti-IPA? What's interesting to me about this is that there, none of these places said that they brew IPAs and th- this other, you know, more classic stuff. And they do talk in the article a bit about, well, people come in, we say, what do you like? And we're able to gear them toward some of our, our non mainstream offerings they're they're very unapologetic in all of these reviews which I love about what they do and they they do place an emphasis on the fact that they know that their staff needs to really understand what these beers are about to explain them to the mainstream audience which I think is so important and lots lots of tasting lots of tasting available lots as well. of tasting <laughs> <laughs> there's no place I mean so the Great Lakes region is I would say on the, there's certainly not bellwethers in the industry <laughs> for change. <laughs> and they, they tend to, they tend to fall, I think, right in as far as quote trends or waves in the industry, they fall kind of in the middle. Um, so as, as the peak has crested, let's say on the coasts, which is usually what happens, um, we are sort of on the rising edge of the, of the wave mm-hmm. here. So, uh, I would argue that IPA fanaticism is not a wave; it's a it's a it's a mental defect. But uh, we are seeing it's still going strong, uh, but we're seeing, I think, cracks in the facade here, and which I'm wel- welcoming. 
But the issue that I have around us is like specifically in like the Madison area is when too many IPAs are over hoppy and skunky and dank is not a thing anymore. What they re- they revert back to type and the, the type they revert back to is high ABV ultra multi beer. And I just I want an easy drinker for God's sakes. Yeah. I don't I don't need to go from one palate wrecker to another. And it's like, can't you guys and gals just focus on something that's universally pleasing or not universally pleasing? I should say it's something that's that's not like an anachronism. Like it's, it's, it's something that something that we can we can go to that we know is true to type and and have that be enough. Right. Have that be OK and focus on that. For instance, I was uh off all this week uh, this is the week of Thanksgiving and I went over to the vintage as I normally do and I looked through there and this is very telling none of you should be surprised by this I looked through their their menu of their you know 20 something beers that they make that are their own they have on tap and I went to a guest tap hmm. that was a light American lager that was made for uh, uh, as a fundraiser for the VA Honor Flight um, nonprofit, and it was freaking fantastic. Hmm. It was four point one percent, and it was made in the traditional American light lager methodology, but was yet flavorful and didn't you know just taste like corn water. Uh, it was great. I'm like, holy hell! I could drink this all afternoon, which I proceeded to do, and. <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't their beer; it was somebody else's. I'm like, there you go. What? Why? What? What's the deal? Well, so that's that's what it's like around here. And and that's so interesting because you know, I, kudos to the vintage for picking a really good beer that complements their other stuff. Mm-hmm. Because that that in and of itself, you've got to be comfortable in your own skin and in your own selection to say, you know what. We're not we're not going to make that, or we don't have something like that right now. But let's get it on here so that our guests are they have their choices. So I love that, right? I absolutely love yep. that. But yet there was another another collab between two other breweries they had on as a guest tap called the Big Five O, um, and it was for a, an anniversary, not mine, fiftieth uh, birthday. But it was, <laughs> um, are we still celebrating that? No, and and I was all jazzed for it because it was a it was a rye uh, pilsner. Oh, yum! And yeah, no, this beer was awful. Uh, I poured it out. I, like, I poured it out at the bar. Oh, jeez! And I'm just like, they're like, oh my god, is something wrong with it? And I'm like, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, well, is it like spoiled? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's just not made well. Don't ever do that again. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you should be ashamed of yourself for putting that on tap. So, yeah, that is funny. Oh, anyway. but yeah, I um, I can't wait to go visit this place by me here. <laughs> well, the one in Chicago you mentioned is quite interesting, and mm-hmm. and um, I might have to uh, make a trip. May I have to check that out uh, here. Did I tell you in the not too distant future? Did I tell you what they were called? Uh, off off color. Yeah, off color. Off color. Let me check. See where they're at. Another one here in Washington, uh, and another another common theme through some of these places is that a lot of these don't return to the menu. There aren't a lot of you know house beers because they're constantly trying some of these historical and classic styles and just rotating through different ways. Of th- oh. There's so much history to go through. You know, you don't need to return. 
off-color brewing tap rooms in the Mousetrap in Chicago. I know exactly where that is. Oh, wonderful. All right, well, can I can I get down there? <laughs> <laughs> the plotting has begun. <laughs> it's only a two-and-a-half-hour drive. That, that sounds worth it. Oh, bloody hell. What? It's right not too far away from Siebel. Oh, wonderful. How did you not know about it? I don't know, right? I'm going to give John Hill next time I talk to him. Yeah, that that sounds like a place worth visiting. Oh, and Forbidden Roots, right? Right next, not too far away from them. I don't know them. Forbidden Root, that's really good. You would like them. Huh. They do all sorts of crazy botanical beers. Ooh, oh, that sounds fun yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, I just got to go to a real city and, and yep. away from your city to uh, exactly. find that stuff. Yeah. Not that, not that I have anything to say, you know. <laughs> all right. So, so I, I thought the. I, I, I really liked this article because it made me have hope again for the future of craft beer. And it was not your typical IPA bashing article. It was just, hey, you know, we want something different. We are not, we're not the brewery you're going to come to to watch the football game or play trivia. This is, right. this is different. People are here to sit and taste and enjoy. And as I look at the menu for this one by me, OEC, you can get four, eight, 12, or 16 ounce pours. So they're, you know, and I'm looking and I'm looking at it going, shit, I want to try every single thing on this menu. I, I can't start with a pint because uh, <laughs> it won't end well. <laughs> <laughs> oak aged dark, an oak aged dark lager that's only 5.8. Nice. Um, crisp Czech style dark lager aged in oak with notes of dark chocolate and a touch of roast. Ooh, it's 10 a.m. and I want that right now. <laughs> that says more about me than about the beer, I suspect. I suppose. So, yeah. Well, there's that article I sent you about that beer festival that was on the East. Was it in Pennsylvania? I don't remember where it was. You did send me that article. I did not read that article yet. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> no, I did not. Well, it's exactly it's exactly about this topic. Oh, it's that's convenient. The fact that the, at a beer festival, there wasn't a single, there was one IPA and one pale ale Sheesh. offering. Not like per brewery. Across there were like 20 or 25 breweries there. Wow. That was it. Was, was, and everything else was sours. No, there were no sours. <laughs> it was about all about like Czech styles and oh. you know people people looking back into tr- tradition and history and saying, "Wow, there's really good beer in here that people are interested in." Because why? Because IPAs are boring now. Uh, I I would love to spend the day somewhere like that, right? So, and I posted it on on. Um, on discord last night because it was we were getting into about well you know is this is this hop variety really the right one for me and you know what what should we be thinking about and i'm like i've been telling you guys this is going to happen for years now and now is the time you need to strike to be getting any varieties changed up because it will not be ipas all the time and the varieties that are being bred right now are all for those ipas return to tradition because the brewers that are going to be wanting to make these beers are not going to have, they're going to be asking for traditional hop varieties. And, and no one's focused on them. Everyone's, everyone's going citra crazy. Yeah. I told you so. Mm-hmm. That's, you've, I, I'm sticking by that. It's going to happen. I hope you're right. I hope we're the driving force, too, behind that. Well, of course yeah, we are. We must be. Duh. We must be. Of course I'm right. I'm a hopnologist. <sighs> and that'll be the tag. <laughs> Of course, that that's the next T-shirt as well. We haven't had a T-shirt line in a while. We have not. Of, of course. Hold on, writing it down. Then we'll move on. Of course, <laughs> I'm right. I even I, have a I, I even have a logo for it. I, I'm sure you do. You've been going a little crazy on the logos lately. Mm-hmm. It's been fun though. All right, the next 
several topics. I'm just going to tell you what they were because they they were not great articles. Okay. But I I just think it's interesting that this is where they're heading with some of this stuff. Um, probably the 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 worst article of the issue was on marketing, and it's called "Use the Power of Imagination to Improve Your Marketing." It's four pages about. It sounds like a Walt Disney article, and he actually references Walt Disney here, um, uh, about why you should use your imagination and think outside the box. There is nothing of value, and we're going to move on from that. Hmm. It was absolute garbage. The next one, unlikely pairings, and they're talking about it's one thing to do a a collab with another brewery, but you're seeing more and more beers that are like branded for a band or for you know for anything else there's a movie theater uh they're talking about here um, that worked with stone actually to do their own beer so a lot of cross-branding outside of the beer industry i've seen a little bit of that around here not a but not a ton we see cross-branding all the time here and whether it is a movie theater or restaurants or not, or the freaking semi-pro soccer team mm-hmm. um we see it it's all over the place and that's nothing new. It, it, it really isn't. There's one, the one interesting one here in Mount Vernon, um, there are some classic beer styles being brewed locally that they sell at George Washington's estate that are from that era. And apparently Washington was a big Porter fan. Mm-hmm. Which, so, of course, you can understand why that grabbed my attention. Yep. But they're doing these historical brews to go along with the fact that you're, you're there visiting history. I think that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, as long as they don't try to modernize it. I mean, the when we were at uh, Mount Vernon, this is years ago, they have a distillery on site, and they make these whiskeys and uh, that are right out of Washington's journals. Right? They don't. They haven't changed it. Not only that, they distill and they brew and distill them using all the similar equipment. Oh, nice. And techniques. So it's like if you want to bring the mash up to temperature, you're doing it by ladling in these giant buckets of boiling water. I mean, there's no modernization to it whatsoever. And it's incredible. It's just it adds something more to it. So I'm like, man, if you can go to that length, that is that is cool as hell. As long as you keep the dysentery away. Like that's you know Well, that's what the alcohol's for. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> some Oregon Trail jokes in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that is really neat, using the old the old equipment and the old processes like that and trying to recreate those things. I love it. Right. I love it. I, yeah. So, so, the, so this was kind of a fun, a fun cutesy thing. And, of course, you know, you said as long as they don't try to modernize it. And one other thing I'll point out here, um, there is a brewery, I'm going to let you guess who it was, that partnered with a, a strange travel agency that does weird tourist attractions like mu- frozen mummies in Greenland there's mm-hmm. apparently a dog suicide bridge in Scotland they they highlight distinctive locations around the world super dog what was that brood no no but 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 you got half the word right ah uh, it's dogfish head <laughs> oh dogfish head yeah and uh I mean, Boston Beer Company. Well, yes, now Boston Beer Company. <laughs> but w- what they went with, there was something, um, an engast- engastration. Do you know what that word is? Engastration? Engast- is that, engastration. Is, does that mean to have your stomach and your intestine or your guts removed? No. It is a cooking technique in which one animal is stuffed in the body of another, like a, turdu- ah. like a turducken. 
A turducken. Got it. So, you know, Sam, I could never pronounce his name right. Yeah. You know, the, the Caglioni. Caglioni. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. th- there was some kind of tour centered around that. And he's like, hmm, maybe we can do that. And he did this bizarre beer that, at least in his mind, straddles the line between beer, sake, wine, cider, and mead. And it's got all these different things going on in it. It sounds like just a you know when you mix all the colors together and you get brown i think that's exactly i think that's what's going on here yeah yeah but i thought that was a a fascinating approach and what you can do when you have god knows how much money in brewery space right so if we only could all have that level of fun but yeah um the the whole cross-branding thing uh i i just thought was interesting and be, again, beyond just partnering with another beer company. Look, Reverie's got something now where they partner with a cupcake company and there's cupcake shit in their beer. And um, yep. and it's not good. <laughs> yep, yep. I see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes those things work. Sometimes not so much. Uh, let's see what else is in here. Um, there was one on mentorship, uh, which was okay, not really super inf- informative. So... There's an article here on Mexican craft beer. Okay. And I thought that was so interesting because what do you think when you think of Mexican beer? Well, you're asking the wrong guy because well, I spent a lot of time in Mexico and I'm in the craft beer industry. Okay, so, so. so you're the wrong guy. <laughs> but, but, you know, we think of we think of Corona, of Modelo. You know, we, we think of... Yeah, the, Cerveza style. Yeah, the, and, longer, the oldest yep. of Constellation owns. Mm-hmm. And, Me- and what's so interesting, and I hadn't thought about this, is that Mexican-style lagers are are an American craft beer creation of sorts. You know, oh, yeah. You, you see those on a fairly regular basis. I know, look, the one I get at Reverie, I like a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's not what, in Mexico, they would consider craft beer. It's a really small market, but, you know, growing by leaps and bounds, but in the same way NA, NA beer is growing by leaps and bounds. Like, it's not hard to grow when you got six people drinking it. Right. Uh, but it, this was a really interesting article here, and made more interesting by the fact that let me find that quote beer accounts for three out of every four servings of alcohol consumed in Mexico yeah I mean beer which is so much higher than here or most other places I mean they are a oh, beer yeah. country oh, yeah. without question and and yet the craft market for them is 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 a fractional part of a percent tiny but growing uh, and so there have been some some pushes made from American brewers to work with Mexican breweries and create, you know, get some kind of craft stuff going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's just so interesting. Their their lager um, is the thing. It's what we all think about when we think yep. about Mexican beer. But but they're they're coming on. They're creating some new things. Oh yeah, and we routinely, you know, in the the Siebel course the the advanced brewing techniques course we routinely have brewers in there from mexico and south america like usually making up probably a third of the class Hmm. like this last time we had like eight or ten people from just ab alone from um argentina and brazil wow yeah I think the market is is ripe for some new styles and some new ideas, and just that kind of of volume is going to come from them. It's so very interesting, uh, and and it's very very strange. Let me tell you to give a day's worth of lecturing on 
dry hopping techniques, aromachemistry and hop creep, and then spend the evening talking to the Anheuser-Busch team from Brazil about their inline extract dosing and problems they're having with with oxidation. Hmm. It's like two totally different parts of one's brain, but you're still talking about the same general topic. Right. It's weird. It's like, well, how did class go this week? I'm like, well, I spent most of my time helping AB make better beer. Is that a good thing? I guess. <laughs> Should I feel good about that? I don't know. I feel a little dirty. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I still fall back to my my feeling on, on AB and all those the the mainstream beers is that it's 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 about consistency. That's it's hundred percent of what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's all if if it can be consistent. Look, I whenever I'm in Pittsburgh, I bring back some icy light. Mm-hmm. It's not a good beer, but I know what I'm getting, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, and the, our conversations that you know when you're at that scale, it's about consistency and sufficiency. Yes, it's like yes. Well, how can we test online for alpha acid or for some of these other other uh, secondary products, secondary metabolites, we call them, <clears throat> that could affect that consistency in storage. Mm-hmm. It's like, so it gets super techy really, really, really fast. And yet on the other side of the room, I've got, you know, another third of the, of the class that are either nano breweries or small craft breweries. And they're just like, huh, what, what do you, what's going on? So it's like, we need breakout sessions. Anyway. <laughs> yes. So yeah, this, this might've been, this was probably, one of my favorite articles in the issue this time because it was just so interesting to talk about mm-hmm. a market that's that's not there yet but but should be right. and and we'll get there uh just just really interesting to talk about what we consider to you know look the assumption as a consumer here is that oh mexican beer you mean corona that that's right. that's all there is right but uh interesting to hear about your attendees at class and and where you're seeing them from that's that's kind of cool so so the last article here and the one I want to spend some time on I think you will have a lot to say on this topic and it's not, it has it has nothing to do with beer <laughs> at all it's it's you know oh, they always great. do a business article or two in here this is about burnout about employee burnout <laughs> I knew you would I, do that, I didn't I tell you I, I wanted to get through the other topics to have some time to talk about this one um, and this is written mm-hmm. by someone who used to work at a brewery and as a sales rep, and yep. she moved on and she's doing other things now. But um, what she does now is she helps companies deal with burnout employees. Uh, and mm-hmm. really interesting article about how to watch for it in your employees, the, the obvious downsides of, you know, because usually it happens with your best employees because they're working way too hard. Um, I want to I use her definition here before we jump in because I think it's interesting. Burnout is a state of mental and physical exhaustion due to extreme chronic stress. It is a syndrome resulting from stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by three components, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, Increased mental distance from one's job or feeling negativism, ah, neg- negativism or cynicism relating to your job and reduced personal efficacy. And I think that's so important to understand those three components of it. It's not just about being tired. It's about being tired combined with not caring, combined with at the same time feeling like even though you don't care, you're not doing it as well as you feel like you should. And all those things combined mm-hmm. 
could just spiral a person. Holy shit, I'm burned out. <laughs> of what? Of this conversation? <laughs> yeah, of, of, of life, apparently. <laughs> what, what is fascinating to me here as well is that OSHA did not add um, mental health to the things that they were responsible for until 2019. Oh, yeah. Which is just shame on you, you know? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, you know, obviously as as I typically I'm not going to sit here and read the whole article but you know she goes through different ways to identify burnout what to watch for and of course you can't just assume anyone who's working hard is going to burn out but right. it talks a lot about distance between work and home life not answering emails at 10 o'clock at night um that sort of thing which we all should know we all know these things realistically to protect ourselves from burnout that we shouldn't be 24-7 workers. It's hard. Dude, I was answering emails yesterday I'm sure on Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm sure, look, I was reading mine this morning and yesterday because I, you know, I, you and I both, we work in global situations, so there are people that are not celebrating Thanksgiving this week, and, and I've had a whole bunch of things pop up the last two days. I'm reading them so that when I come in Monday, I, I am prepared, but I am not answering them. Yeah. I just, I, there was a time when I would have. But that's also an American. Thing. I think so too. Have yes. to say, yeah. But anyway, so too. continue. Um, I'm I'm just looking for other you know word bites to grab here. Um, it's you know the one thing I'll say is you know she talks a lot about it. it's up to it's up to the owners of our companies and our breweries to make sure that you know they they look for the warning signs. Well, you know sometimes you've got a hard worker who's just a hard worker, and that's all good, mm -hmm. and that works burnout can happen when you're not expecting it, when someone sort of fades off the radar and yep. as busy as everyone works sometimes you don't notice when your people are fading off the radar and and it's it could be because Correct. they're spiraling and you just don't know mm -hmm. uh i just thought i just thought this was a and they're doing a better job of this lately new brewer they're they're throwing in articles that are more about running the business and not necessarily about running a beer related business well, frankly, that's what they need to focus on because it's just a business. <laughs> you can't you can't just jump right to like beer quality and you know all the technical aspects of running a better brewery if you're ignoring all of the aspects that keep the brewery running. Sure. Does oh, that sure. make sense? I know it sounds recursive, but it's it's that concept of you've got to you call it blocking and tackling. If you don't have those fundamentals, like first and foremost on your radar everything else is pointless you're you're focusing on the wrong thing at the wrong yep. time yep to totally agree and they, they they get into sometimes with management and let's face it breweries are mostly you know run by the people who own them business owners entrepreneurs are cut from a different cloth their their threshold is higher for stress and fatigue and and that burnout cliff when they hit that cliff and they fall over it it's a it's a much steeper drop but oh yeah but, yeah yeah i can i i, yeah, I know oh yeah you, you know that. full well <laughs> it's like tights yep. or mites which ones stick up at you so you fall on them and they impale you i forget which way those go um, it doesn't matter you get it you, get, you hit them all on the way down uh so so you have owners especially of, of new startups and this is not just a brewery thing who you know they're going to drive you hard because things have to get done. But, mm -hmm. well, there's a there's a mentality, and even in the biotech space, it's that way. It, it attracts startups, attract people that love and thrive on 
uh, <clears throat> what's new and you're in constant like triage mode and that engages those kind of people. I am, I am one of those people. However, those people are also really, really bad at not knowing where the edge of the right. cliff is. Self-regulation just doesn't exist. No, absolutely not. And you add on top of that, if you have a, uh, like, like me, where you've got pretty considerable ADHD and you, that was untreated, uh, you tend to fixate and do what we call stimming, right? Stimulating. And stimming in this case for most entrepreneurs is more work. What's new? What's new? What can I get at next, next, next? And it's always the next thing. And you may, you may only get to 80% done on the thing you're working at. And then you lose focus because you're looking for that next mm -hmm. stim. And what that leaves you with is 50 things in your wake that are mostly done that now require you to go back and address them while you're still trying to stim on the new thing and you what you what was stimulating for you before is now a giant pain in the ass because you moved on because it wasn't stimulating anymore and uh and you get that becomes a stressor now instead of a yep. stimulator and those things just stack up and stack up and stack up to the point where it crushes you mm -hmm. and it's just the way that's how it works and it's awful. And I think I, I recognize that trait in so many of my entrepreneur friends, not just in the brewing industry, but just all over. I'm just like, uh-huh. When people talk about that entrepreneurial, you know, it's like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. And because of that, I have to work harder than everybody else. I have to, you know, if you're not, if you're not putting in 180 hours a week, you're not working hard enough, blah, blah, blah. There's all that. Mm -hmm. what do you want to call it stereotype around this concept of an entrepreneur at least in in north america um it's total bullshit but that's what people think but it draws those kind of people who are constantly looking to stim on that and i think we all have a mental defect <laughs> i think you're right i think well it's 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 squirrel um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I completely agree with you. The The whole idea, I've never heard that stimming before, but that makes all the sense in the world that you want something, you want to do it, it's exciting, you build it up to your point to about 80%, and then coming back to do that final 20 is such a drag and so not mm -hmm. interesting. And, and I imagine there's a guilt spiral there as well because, well, that was my idea in the first place. Like that was, oh yeah, and, and I want it to be done. And and you start to kind of compound upon yourself this feeling of, of inability to to finish anything. Mm -hmm. It's sort of the opposite yep. of of that of the failure to launch concept of of people who can't get started. Um, right. And what you see is this kind of turn into an entrepreneur talk and not about burnout, but this is all about yeah. burnout. So what happens is I think you have two types of entrepreneurs, the ones that, that you mentioned just now that feel bad, they feel guilty, they start putting additional stress on themselves. And then you have kind of the sociopathic narcissistic ones <laughs> that just don't give two shits and they let everybody else around them pick up the ah. pieces and somehow that's considered normal. So if you aren't being you know, sycophantic to their inability to complete something, <laughs> then somehow you're not worth your salt. And, you know, that's the Donald Trump move. And you just belittle people. And it's just, I, I've had enough of it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is, uh, 
that is such an, a frustrating environment to live in and and that can get so inc- oh I, I i yes i i don't know how to put into words how i feel about what you just said <laughs> well so back back to the concept of employee burnout in in the brewing industry too it's it is the responsibility of of the company to look after the well-being of their employees and but that doesn't mean babysitting them. It means making resources available to help them deal with whatever it is that they need to cope with life and work and all that stuff. Brewing is a, it's a tough, physically demanding industry. It takes a lot of hours to do it and you're not going to make a lot of money. That's just the way it is. So you do it because you love it. And if you're not in the right mindset for getting into it, and that doesn't matter if you're the brewmaster or you're the keg wipe, it's all the same thing. You're in it because you love it. And if you think you're going to get something out of it that really isn't real, then you're going to get depressed. You're always going to be like, why am I not making it? Why am I not doing this? Why am I not doing that? And I think it's the company's, partly the company's responsibility to provide you with resources to check yourself. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's not worth it. Right, right. You, frankly, get out, do yeah, something yeah. else. You have to make your your work life work for you, and that's part of the problem with getting involved. I think in a passion industry, in something to your point, where you're you're, you know, right down to the keg wipe. You're you're there because you love it. Well, mm-hmm. it's too easy to put your everything in that and make your identity around that, and not be able to step away because the, only by stepping away do you come back to it with renewed interest. Right. You need that you break. And when you get into a rut in the craft brewing world, I see it with, you know, the you're all into it when you're going to start up and open your brewery, right? And it's like, how many times have we talked about building your team? And you get all these people together and you start and it's a lot of excitement around and everybody's, you know, coming together and rah, pulling to the last mile to get this place opened. And then it's all kinds of excitement for like the first six months. And then people start to drift Mm -hmm. off and you're left with in in the worst case, one person (laughs) who's still kind of carrying the torch because it was either their passion project or they have a feeling of personal responsibility or whatever it is and suddenly you start to build up all these other stressors and resentments and things like that that can cause a a workplace brewery workplace to implode not a good place to be and that's all around that stress that how do you cope with it and how do you have how do you cope with it yourself and then how do you have that discussion a meaningful discussion with your coworkers and maybe your partners about where you're at it, yeah, and that she goes into in this article things you can look for, and they're the things you would expect: difficulty sleeping, you know, sleeping all the time, <laughs> loss of purpose. Yep. Um, early on, she says, you know, very often what you see is is someone going, "Yeah, I'm really stressed," and da da da, and I'm getting burned out on this, and the coworker goes, "Yeah, me too," and that's the extent of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And she gets into mm-hmm. kind of how to identify it, how to understand, um, how to help each other. I think we all know what those signs are. Uh, and sometimes everyone, I think, gets out of it or finds their way through it a little bit differently. Uh, but recognizing it in your coworkers, because look, if they fall apart, you're left holding the bag. So, yep. we, and and plus, there's the human. You know, never mind just the work element. There's the human element here too. We want to help each other. Um, I I, I want to tell a story, and I know I've told you this. I don't know if uh, if I've said it on on a recording before, but about I think it was pre-COVID. 
I think it was pre-COVID, uh, I was not happy with my job at all. And I was just, I was complaining nonstop to my family about this, you know, this person I worked with and that thing and this occurrence. And, and I was just always complaining. And my daughter was in, I think, seventh grade or eighth grade. And she was also just not enjoying junior high school at all. And of course, my attitude is, well, I'm not enjoying work, but that's me just complaining because my family's here to listen to me complain. And when my at the time, you know, 12 year old is enjoying school. Well, she's a kid and she has to go to school. <laughs> so just do it. And she and I were having a conversation and she was complaining about school, complaining about school. And I was like, yeah, you just got to, you know, so you won't be in junior high school for that long. High school's better and da 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 and this and that. And she just kind of looked at me and said, yeah, but you always complain about what you do. And if school sucks and work sucks, then what's the point of any of it? And as a parent, I went, oh, shit. What, what am I – shit. <laughs> you know? Like, okay, I need to very quickly change my outward persona on – and more – so the short term was, okay, I need to set a better example. But the longer term was also reexamining for myself, okay, clearly she's not wrong. And right. I need to fix my situation partially for me so that I feel like a better person and partially so that I'm setting the example of, look, be, for my kids that this is this is good. Like you can make your own path in the world and a path you enjoy and you can set yourself up for success instead of it being the same slog you're going through now as a teenager. That was a big eye-opener for me. And I actually, I, switch so jo I switched jobs internally um, shortly after that. I made it a, a point to do something different that I would enjoy more. Sometimes that's yeah. what it takes. Yeah. Of course I'm right. I'm a hopnologist. <laughs>